Well, yes, uh, it is a blessing to be back with all of you this morning. As most of you know, um, Janice and I both in the last couple of weeks tested positive for the good old COVID. Yes. So not excited. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And so we were unable to be here last Sunday, but I got to tell you, we did manage to get down into the TV room uh, in our PJs and make a coffee and uh, watch the live stream of all of you here last Sunday. And listen, I, I, um, I don't know what you think I'm thinking when I'm watching besides checking if all the chairs are straight. I don't know. What? <laughs> I was. Okay, no. No, but it, it's just, it's honestly, it was, it was, it was so beautiful to see what I know you, you can do and you will do is step up and, and share and participate. But it's just, yeah, just warms your heart to see you, your church family doing that in and, and such an amazing way. It was really incredible to see. I was saying to somebody earlier this morning about, you know, like I think three guys got up in a row and I was going, gentlemen, sit down. Please let a lady stand up, right? And, and, and then the ladies came up and, and boy, did they come up and, and share and Oh, I was just, uh, thank you. That really, that really warms uh, a pastor's heart because we, we do know that, you know, we're, we're, a, we're a family here we're a, and, and every one of us should be able to do this and can do this. And so we're going to do more of that, okay, in the future. Please hold me to that. That would be great. I also want to thank, thank uh, Mark Goulet for stepping in and uh, continuing us on in, a little bit anyway, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount and, and therefore preventing this series for going on for a total of three years. <laughs> I, 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 you know you laid down a challenge there, right? Like I was like, okay, how do I do this? That'd be, that could be fun, right? No. That was great too, Mark. Thank you so much. So... Um, as we return this morning then to the Sermon on the Mount and uh, the Beatitudes to start with, again, best laid plans, right? And again, I'm so glad Mark did that because uh, I had actually like tried to work through the sermon to go through all of the Beatitudes for last week. And even as I was preparing, I was like, I can't do this, right? And, and uh, I was only going to focus on uh, verse 3, and then he did a, a, a bit of a, a talk on that, which was great. And the same thing today, I got to tell you, like I, I had planned, okay, well, I'll, I'll do a little bit on three because got to just update a couple of things uh, related to flourishing and so forth, and then we'll go through them all. And, and I'm working on it and working on it through brain fog all week, and I'm like, can't do it. <laughs> it, it so it could be three years. I'm just going to just let it know. We're, we're going to look at three Beatitudes today because it's so beautiful um, what Jesus is saying here. And so just a couple of key points before we, we move through this week and next, the nine macarisms. Anybody remember that word that was thrown out first Sunday? Yeah, macarisms uh, that make up the Beatitudes. So we learned several key points in that first message about the powerful sermon that Jesus preached. And, and one of those keys was that word blessed, right? We, we all know this, this, this part of the Bible. It's so famous. It's so popular. It should be. It's awesome. And yet we learned in that first message, I hope you did anyway, that Man, that, that word can just leave us in our English language today with some misunderstandings of what God is actually trying to say, what Jesus was actually saying in those days. So as Jesus looked over that crowd on that day, as I alluded to a couple of weeks ago, he, yes, he, he saw his disciples at his feet. Yes, he saw them, but he also saw the crowds. Now, the word there in the original languages means multitude. So there was literally probably more than a thousand people 
out there listening to Jesus. And, and as Jesus looks at them, and sometimes I think we get, again, this impression that Jesus is just, he's just focused on the disciples and he's just, he's just thinking about the gospel and the kingdom and he's just, he's just preaching new, new teaching. Yes, but he also knows his audience. And he knows full well that in front of him were the philosophical, the two main phys- philosophical traditions of that day. Probably not much different today. And those two philosophical traditions were the, the Jewish second temple sacrificial theological system and, and traditions and understandings, as well as the Greco, Greco-Roman traditions popularized by, yes, Socrates, Aristotle, Plato. And so G- Jesus is living in the moment, and he's looking out in front of him, and he sees these people, and he wants to speak to all of them, to all of them. So these two worldviews were the predominant views on how one in that day achieved the subject of our series, the good life, or flourished as human beings. That that was the goal of both of these traditions was, this is what you need to do, this is the kind of life you need to live so that you will arrive at nirvana. Okay, no, the good life, and you will truly flourish as a human being. And so it was a big deal then, as it is today, just as big a deal. And again, we think of ourselves in our modern world today as being so far ahead of where they were at, right? These peasants in sandals, right? This was their life, was trying to figure out how do we get there, the good life, and flourish. And so those were the the two primary um, traditions. And listen, in both of those traditions, macarisms were well-known. That, that's how the teachers and the philosophers in that day, whether Jewish or Greco-Roman, would teach about this subject. They would use these words, which we translate blessings or blessed, right? Or happy. But they would be the word makarios in the Greek. And so when they heard Jesus open his mouth and start with makarios, they were like, okay, <laughs> this is going to be good. All ears fully attentive to what Jesus is going to say, because this is going to, this wise teacher, this man who's been walking back, and thousands are now following him, he's going to talk to us about how to achieve the good life, how to flourish as human beings. And so this type of teaching, as I said in those days, was known as macarisms. The key difference then that we learn between the word we know as blessed and makarios is that in their minds... We might get the wrong idea of what blessed would mean, but in their minds, it was, it was simply this. It was, you, you had to live a certain way. Of course, the Jewish people knew that they had to live according to rules and regulations, right? Follow the law. You live according to the rules and regs. You're, you're devout, you're religious, and, and you will eventually get there. You'll get to the good life because of what? Your efforts. That was the exact same thinking, of course, in the, the idea of, the Greco-Roman method of getting there, which was, again, you, ha- you have to be virtuous. You have to work yourself up to a certain place, certainly above other people and ahead of other people and, and to a point where now you're living the good life. And now because of what you've been doing and acting, the way that you've been acting will lead to a good life. And so in other words, the, what we needed to see was that the idea with the word blessed or blessing has been always, at least in the case of the Jewish scribes and religious leaders, but even Christians, I think, to this day, is that it's, it's a result of how you act, how you behave, and then 
God will bless you. If you act appropriately, God will bless you. And if you don't act appropriately or stop acting appropriately, blessings go away. Right? And so, so the, the idea could be you could look at these first three macarisms and, and think to yourself, well, look, if, if I just act poor in spirit, whatever that looks like, which we will look into, or, or if, I, if I just act mournful, <laughs> or if I just behave meekly, well, then God will bless me. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. But that's exactly how everyone in that day was behaving or thinking that that would lead them to these blessings. So a, a, a macarism then is this. It's, it's a pronouncement based on observation that a certain way of being in the world produces human flourishing and felicity. That was the common understanding in that day. So it, you, it would be observed by the way someone was living, and, and the blessings would be obvious because of how they were succeeding in life. So we discovered that a better translation for the word blessed is the word flourishing. And if you haven't been here for that first message, I would encourage you to go back to it because I don't want to go any more deeply into it. But that, that is the word that we've been using and we looked at because even in our day and in our English today, that, that, that has a slightly different connotation, right? Besides an end goal, but it, the, because flourishing sounds like it's ongoing, doesn't it? And it should. So that's the word that we've, we've come to understand. And, and, and it points to this. It points to a way of life that we live into based not on what we do or do not do, but based on a life that God has provided for us to live into. From his commentary that I've been studying on this subject, Jonathan Pennington says this, Beatitudes are descriptions and commendations of the good life. As prophet and philosopher, Jesus is offering and inviting his hearers into the way of being in the world that will result in their true and full flourishing now and, of course, in the age to come. So that way is juxtaposed with, of course, the religious and the secular worldviews of the Jewish teachers and the Greco-Romans of that day. Both views were based on, as I've said already, the, the attainment of a higher moral and ethical value, which they would have called in those days virtues. You know, to be a virtuous person, it's a good thing. Those are good. But it would be about, A, identifying them. And of course, how would we identify them? Well, through human reasoning and, and logic and philosophy, even to this day, that will reside, result in a happy and good life. So... As they're all gathered around at this point, and it's an interesting picture here that I, I want to show you, and that is, is that it's, it's amazing. It's, it's a lot like, remember the time when Jesus got into the boat with Peter and went out about a couple hundred meters from the, from the shore? Why did he do that? Well, he wanted to speak to Peter, sure, but he wanted his voice to carry across the water to be heard, right? Because he didn't have one of these, these things right here. Right? And, and, and so, you know, the creator of nature understands that his voice will reflect. Same thing here. He, he goes to a mountaintop. Yes, he's the better and more perfect Moses, the perfect Moses. Um, yes, it has all of these symbolisms to it, being up on a mountain. It does. But it's also so his voice can carry and they can hear him. And so they're there. And then he opens his mouth and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, that's how it probably is shown in your particular translation you have today. But let me show it to you on screen how we are turning it for our own study in this series. Flourishing are the poor in spirit because the kingdom 
of God is theirs. So, so we not only change the word blessed to flourishing, and it, it's a good translation, it's a reliable, trustworthy translation, but also the word for to because. And, and then the paradoxes that are here will tend to make more sense. So even, even on first looking at this from the previous, it, it, it sounds different, doesn't it? It leads in a different direction. So flourishing on an ongoing basis are those who are poor in spirit because they have the keys to the kingdom. The kingdom of God is theirs. And so last Sunday, Mark highlighted who Jesus was specifically speaking to, which is true. He was speaking to the disciples at his feet. But again, I'm going to emphasize this. Jesus came for the whole world and wants the message of the gospel and of the kingdom to be proclaimed to the whole world. But yes, his focus is at feet, the men and women who are, are at his feet for certain. But then, of course, there are, there are the crowds, this multitude, and they make up what I've suggested to you is a very multicultural group. So they're Jewish leaders, they're Jewish followers, they're Greco-Roman, they're Romans, they're Samaritans. Pretty much every nation, tongue, and tribe is there. And they're hearing Jesus proclaim these words. So two other points are important to make as we look again at this verse and those that follow. First, Jesus is speaking, I've said this again in the first message, prophetically. So so there's a, a now aspect to it, but he is speaking prophetically into the future. Because why? Well, at this point in time, he has not died on the cross for the sins of the world yet, has he? And so the, these disciples, he's speaking prophetically to them. This will, be, this will be you. You will live into this when you come to know me as Lord and Savior and are truly my disciples. So he's speaking prophetically. He's referring to those who will be his disciples in spirit and truth, those who have been saved, born again, and have received the Holy Spirit. Again, Jonathan Pennington in his commentary puts it very well. And this is important to stress this at this point in the Beatitudes. One can only flourish fully as a human when one is in a covenantal relationship with the creator God. We'll we'll get into this more, but the reality is, newsflash, the kind of flourishing that God has in mind for his creation, for those whom he loves and sent Jesus to save, they're the only ones who can experience this kind of flourishing. The ways of the world that seek flourishing won't work. I got the t-shirt, multiple t-shirts. I don't know about you guys. That's the point. It's really, really important that we understand that. Second then, and this is key, Jesus is speaking in these Beatitudes about those who have been, listen, past tense, approved by God. those who have been given the right by Jesus to be called children of God. And, and I'm sure you all know this, but just in case, that approval is not based on anything you do or can do or will do or anything I have done, can do, will do at all. Again, so countercultural to exactly their views in those days and, quite frankly, to the world today, which is, I, I can do this. Just tell me what the rules and regs are. I'll get myself there. Good luck with that. So they're putting it out there, and, and I'm putting it out to you that this approval that comes to God is that you are going to need is only, of course, coming from God. And so one of the ways we could, again, maybe rephrase that first 
macarism or beatitude would be this. Approved and flourishing. Look at this. Approved and flourishing are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So that's a a fully fleshed out understanding theologically, but also reality-wise of who this is speaking to and who can enjoy this kind of good life and this kind of human flourishing that Jesus wants for you and for me is those who are approved by God and therefore are flourishing. Well, as I said in that first message, if the various philosophical viewpoints were well represented on that day, and I believe they were, this macarism would have produced on that day a very puzzled response and I think a barely audible, huh? Like, Like, what? One of my favorite descriptions of the kingdom of God, I don't know where I I heard it from. I kind of searched around. It may have been Leslie Newbigin. I can't remember, but he described it as, or was described as the upside-down kingdom. Everybody ever heard that? This is upside-down. This is like, it's a total paradox, mind shift, paradigm shift, and it certainly would have landed in that day that way. So I, I believe this verse probably is where this idea of the upside-down kingdom may have actually come from. So in every known language of that day and to this day, I believe we will see these Beatitudes, and starting with this one first, seem to, make, seem to be, at least at first, to make no sense <laughs> to the, 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 the common human understanding of what the good life or human flourishing might look like. I can almost also imagine at that time that some of them may have been like just elbowing each other. You know, the guys in the crowd, of course, not the disciples, because they, they just hung on every word that Jesus said, right? Some doubted, <laughs> even after he rose from the dead. But I can just imagine somebody elbowing the other guy and going, you know what, Th- this guy needs to get a reality check. <laughs> Seriously. The poor in spirit? Well, yeah, reality check. Their perspective, of course, on reality in that day was, again, virtually, I would suggest to you, no different than the enlightened in our world today. They were positive that the reality was related to the good life and human flourishing anyway, 100% based on the collective view that those who strive, those who demonstrate a clear understanding, a commitment to the great virtues of this world as defined by me and by us, Those are the ones, those are the people who will get ahead, who will arrive at the good life and human flourishing. Their heroes and examples were no different from ours today, except some of our heroes have 1.5 million followers on Instagram. It's no different who they idolized and looked up to. It was the successful. It It was the people who were getting ahead. Even those people who were walking over other people to get ahead. Those were the images that they followed. So a closer work, look pardon me, at the words in this beatitude give us a clue as to why they may have felt this way. Flourishing would have been of a really good start. Like that word, that macarism, that would have got their attention. They would have went, like I alluded to earlier, that, that's okay, this is going to be good. <laughs> this is really going to be good. And then Jesus says that they are those who are poor, full stop. 
I, this is probably none of you who are in the room here this morning, but I happen to know from 12 to 13 years of preaching that there are often times when I say, please hear me, and then later in the week I find out people did not hear me. <laughs> like, like, or they heard me wrong. Or they, they, like I, anyway, okay. But I think there's a point at which sometimes people hear a word or a situation or an illustration, and it's like, tune out. Right? I, I'm pretty sure in this day, at that point, when Jesus said, Flourishing are those who are poor. What? Hello, stop. You know, again, in our human, pardon me, English translation, we, 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 we can look at that word and, and it, it can have various meanings to us um, that would be, you know, legitimate and so forth. But again, to the ears of whether they were Jewish or Greco-Roman in that day, that word simply meant Beggarly, pure, poor. Like, poor like a beggar on the streets. That's, so, f- they're the ones flourishing? Would have been the question. So, in the minds of that culture, this was very much upside-down thinking. Jesus, you had me. <laughs> At Makarios. But where are you going with this? So, the poor, especially those seen begging in the streets in those days, uh, just to survive, were known to not just be poor, but deservedly so. Based on the way they lived their lives and behaved and acted, they deserved to be on the streets and poor in the virtuous, judgmental minds of everyone else anyway, right? I mean, they were probably on the streets and and begging in the streets because their moral and ethical compasses were way off. They were probably thieves, Right? They, were, they were probably cheats, liars, prostitutes, lazy people who couldn't hold on to a job, and the list goes on. These, excuse me, Jesus, are those who are flourishing? Well, <clears throat> some of them, of course, missed the next two words, um, and, and it can happen, but I, I'm pretty sure most of the people in that, uh, that group cut him some slack for a second because they, they would have heard poor and then in spirit and they'd be like, okay, he is a wise teacher, sage, philosopher. Let, let's, let's, let's hang in here. Maybe this is, he's going to explain this because then they heard the words in spirit. And so a simple retranslation then for us and our understanding might, might be this. Blessed are the beggarly, beggarly poor in spirit. Post-COVID, I can't, I can't pronounce certain things. I don't know what's going on here. Beggarly, I got to try it, beggarly, yeah, poor. There you go. I got it out, okay. In spirit. The sense is, blessed are those who are so desperately poor in their spiritual resources that they realize they must and do need help from the outside. And so maybe then it might lead to this. Blessed are those who realize they have nothing within themselves to commend themselves to God for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere with this beautiful beatitude. We're getting somewhere. Poverty of spirit then is coming to the point in your life, in your heart, when you realize that based on your sin, like your personal sin, the depth of it, just yours, nobody else's, just yours and mine, is what has separated you from God and that you are, at that moment, you realize, I'm spiritually bankrupt. 
I, I cannot buy my way out of this. I've got nothing to offer. Zero. Flourishing are those who get that, is what Jesus is saying. That's the first thing that the Holy Spirit actually does in the heart of someone who is coming to faith in Christ. It's called regeneration. It's the first thing that the Holy Spirit touches you with when the Holy Spirit makes you realize, okay, listen, Glenn, (laughs) you got nothing. That's okay. Jesus has everything. Just, Just come to him. Just, just, just come to that point in your life, realize that, and the minute that that happened in my life at 23 years of age, a couple of decades ago, okay, four or more, oh, I was raised in a, in a Catholic home. I, I knew what sin was. Like, trust me, I had to go to confession sometimes twice a week. Bad boy. I knew what that looked like, but it... it It didn't happen until one night when the Holy Spirit said, okay, Glenn, this is what it is. And everything changed at that moment in my life when I realized, oh, whoa, let's let's not worry about anybody else. (laughs) This is me and God right now. And I've got nothing. You know, that that can sound depressing or it can be a great relief, right? Just just to say, oh, yes, Lord, oh. Oh, but I have everything because Jesus died for every single one of my sins, past, present, and future, every single one of them. I'm clean. I am new. And guess what? The kingdom of heaven of God is mine. Do do you honestly this morning realize you have real estate in heaven? Do, Do you understand it? Ephesians 1, just read Ephesians 1, please. The blessings that you have in Christ Jesus in the heavenlies. There is, there's nothing in this world that we can attain that's going to result in a good life like that. And yet, we can have that confidence in this life today, right now, in this life. And so this is how you know. This is how you know, by the way, that you are a Christian. It's when that light bulb, that move in your heart by the Holy Spirit happens, that you know you are a Christian. And so it's very important for me to state this again, to be very clear for anyone listening online or here this morning, without poverty of spirit, no one can or will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the first step. That's the first step. So all of the Beatitudes flow out of understanding this macarism. They flow out of understanding it. And so it's very important we understand the basic perspective, but also what it is not. It is not, of course, the absolute opposite of what our culture believes is the way to the good life and human flourishing. The world around us has its own ideas of what blessedness or flourishing looks like. It's like, blessed is the man or woman who's always right. (laughs) I I got t-shirts, okay? I'm sorry, I I got that one too. Blessed is the man or woman who is strong physically or strong, you know, like dedicated and look at me, I, you go girl, right? Okay, That's, that was for the ladies. Blessed is the man who's satisfied with himself. Blessed is the man who's rich. Blessed is the man who's popular. These are the values of our world and culture and Jesus says this, reality check. Down is the new up. Reality check. 
poor in spirit. Die to yourself and follow me. And so with, with that beatitude, macarism understood. Let's walk through the next two to see how they build on the first one. I really appreciated uh, uh, another commentary by R.T. France. And, and I love the way he titled the Sermon on the Mount. He titled it this, The Good Life. So I, I'm in good company using that as the, the theme for this. But he said this, The Paradoxical Values of the Kingdom. Awesome. They are great paradoxes. And another uh, theologian who I really appreciate, G.K. Chesterton, he kind of has a good turn of words. He's kind of humorous, but very theologically robust. He's, he's, he's a dead guy as well who's gone to be with the Lord. But he said this, Paradox, these paradoxes, are truth standing on their head calling for attention. So that, that's the beauty. These people got to be there on that day. Listen, listening to Jesus, and I understand that's a, that's a big improvement over me. I get that. But, but they're there confused, not quite getting it, and, and pennies are starting to drop. They're listening. And I, I'm encouraging you as we go through this series, the Beatitudes, that we, we listen to Jesus again and again and keep coming back, especially to these first three Beatitudes. Because as I mentioned in the first message, all of the Beatitudes are like a codec for understanding the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go through and look at things like lust and anger and judging, and, and he's going to teach on all these things. These Beatitudes are going to help us decipher what he's actually getting at. Because those are things that can really uh, take away the flourishing of all of us. And so let's look at the next one, verse 4, again in my translation. Flourishing are the mourners because they will be comforted. Well, if the first beatitude had a few of them going, come on, hold on a second, what are you, what are you doing here, Jesus? Uh, this one probably only added to their confusion, don't you think? Uh, it is a paradox, and some of the more astute in that day would probably likely have hung in there, as I said, for some time after this, going, okay, he's, he's, th- th- this is a seminar that I need to stay at because hopefully in the second hour it's going to start to make sense. Right? I think some of them may have felt that way and hung in there and listened to him. And, and the reality is we know by the end of chapter 7 that they did. Many of them did because it ends. It's recorded. The crowds were astonished. It won't be on screen. This is verses uh, 28 and 29 of chapter 7. The crowds were astonished. This is when Jesus finishes. The crowds, not just his disciples, were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like their scribes and teachers. And so yet, what is he exactly saying here? This has been described, uh, these first two, as a matching pair, a very important pair. So the first beatitude is primarily intellectual, is what commentators would say. And I would agree. In other words, it's, it's about those who understand. Like you, you, you come to an understanding that I am spiritually bankrupt. I've got nothing to put on the table to, ask, to, to cause God to, to love me and accept me and approve of me and forgive me of my sins. And the second one is more of the emotional response to that. So this might be obvious to most of you, but Jesus isn't referring to those who are grim, right? right? Downcast all the time. Or those who are sad because of life's circumstances, although that can happen. Or the terribly cold weather, even in May, 
Okay. It's true, but that's not what he's getting at. I don't know, I don't know about some of you, but I, I've actually been in church circles I, I, in my past where, honestly, like, I, I, I don't remember certain men in that church ever smiling. Why is your Bible not the King James? Right? Anyone been there? Yeah, I mean, even even a little like what I just did—a little uh, a little levity in a sermon—that's not called for. It's not what Jesus is getting at. No, this is gen- genuine. This is heartfelt sadness. From that comes as a result of actually, you know what? One more time, once again, while I'm flourishing in this life, remembering what it cost Jesus to give me this life and my poverty of spirit. And, and so the result is, is that you know, we, we go into a, a healthy emotional state of mourning over not only the sins that have been forgiven over the past 67 years, Glenn. But the ones that have just occurred in this last week, again, and again. And, and having a, a truly emotional response to it that's not beating yourself up, but just like, man, oh, Lord, thank you for forgiveness, but forgive me again like truly mourning over it. But it also then produces a, a, a healthy mourning about the, the sins, not in a judgmental way of the world, but, but the sin that is causing the death and chaos in our world. And, and, and to, to really be mournful over that. And, and frankly, to be, to be seen to be mourning over that. Not critical and judgmental and calling out on Facebook, yada, yada, yada. no. Start with oneself and then look around and see the carnage that sin is causing in our world. And that should cause you to mourn and that should drive you back to the first beatitude where you realize you're blessed. And so what happens to those who mourn in that way? They are comforted. It says, will be comforted. That's an important meaning the morning's probably going to go on for a while. But it's good. It's good to reflect that way. But they will be comforted. And by who? Who is the comforter? The Holy Spirit of God, who is resident in you. Friend, can I ask you an honest question? In the past week, have you felt his comfort? Have you felt the comfort of the Holy Spirit based... Oh, oh wait a second. Maybe I haven't. Maybe it's because I'm not mourning about the right things or in the right way. Let me encourage us all to mourn in that right way. So this is really remarkable, really, isn't it? That we mourn over these things confirms, listen, it confirms our poverty of spirit, that we are members of the forever kingdom of God and that we will be comforted. And by whom? By the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He will come to us. He will comfort us. He will lift us up. He will help us bear the circumstances of this life. And then he will begin to bear fruit in our lives as a result of these things. And that will bring us to the third macroism, 
or beatitude, which says this. Flourishing are the meek because they will inherit the world. I know you've all probably heard this before, but um, in, in, I think in, our, in that culture in that day, and certainly in our world today, meekness would be seen to be weakness, right? People who are meek and kind and gentle, like all the time, they're obviously weak. Again, however, it's an amazing paradox. It is also one of the most, listen, significant ways that we see Jesus in his personal life, in his earthly life. Question, was Jesus weak? Hardly. Hardly. He was strong. Stronger than I could ever be. Stronger than any athlete could ever be. Stronger than any one of you or any of us could ever be. The, the, the verbal and otherwise abuse that he took in his life, and then the physical punishment of his crucifixion and death and rejection by everyone who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. We don't want his flourishing ways. We want to keep our own. Strong, super strong, all the way into the point of death. He said in his own words, and he described his strength in this way in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is the great paradox. It's those who are, despite what the world throws at them, despite the struggles we all must endure, it's those who are gentle, meek, and humble. It is those men and women that this world needs to see on the streets and hear me, kids, online. Okay, I got another t-shirt, all right? More than anything in order to see what? Our humility, our gentleness, our meekness, to see Christ to actually see him. Because listen, here's the thing. I don't know if you've tried, if you've tried and achieved in your own strength to be a truly humble and meek and mild and gentle human being. I don't know if you've tried. Again, I got a closet full of t-shirts here, okay? You can't do it. I can't do it. Do I want it? Yeah. Why? I want to flourish. (laughs) And the Lord begins over time to show us all that that's the way of the kingdom. And and then that's the beauty of it, isn't it? That that particular, uh, it says, they, look again, will, they will inherit. It says the world. Now, don't be confused here. This is not the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're not going to inherit. We're not, you and I are not going to inherit because we're meek. And so we're going to inherit what? The new earth. That's what Jesus is speaking about. They, your inheritance will be this new earth. And we will be meek and mild and gentle and humble for the rest of our lives, which will be, oh my goodness, that'll be a blessing. And listen, it'll be more of a blessing to everyone else who knows you. 
<laughs> and me than it will be to us. So listen, we're going to stop here today and complete the Beatitudes next Sunday. And, and the reason why I felt we had to stop here today is, look, it's taken this long just to get through these three. There's just so much goodness, especially in the next one. There's so much goodness in the next one. And, and th- these are kind of a triad. Again, commentators will say the first three, they're a triad, and they work together beautifully. So I want to encourage you this week, as you go through this week, g- g- go back. As soon as you're in a moment in your life when you're frustrated, you're not hearing from God, you're not even talking to God, go back to the first beatitude and just, just meditate on that first beatitude and remember your poverty of spirit, and then, then move on to mourning over your sin and the sins of the world, and then move on this beautiful character trait that God wants to bring out in you so that you don't go and yell at your husband or yell at your wife or, or your kids or whatever. Just go back and start into that. Let me conclude with a couple of thoughts. Earlier, we, re- we reflected on the idea of reality, right? Remember that? And, and how everyone in that day and in these days as well believes that they have a pretty good grasp on reality, at least in their own minds. And so that brought me back to my mind the words of John Mark Cormer in his book, uh, Live No Lies. And, and he, he put it out this way. He said, th- this is what he said was the best definition of reality that he's ever heard. It's what you run into when you're wrong. <laughs> I love that. Right? <clears throat> That's reality. So I wonder how many men and women who heard Jesus on that day or in history down through the years who heard sermons preached on this about what Jesus is saying have gotten to the point where they're like, oh, I've tried the rules and regs way. I've tried the philosophical, virtuistic way of attaining the good life and flourishing as a human being. Now I think I'm going to give Jesus a real try. How about the words of the late philosopher and preacher H.H. Farmer? I love this guy's name. He famously said this, you simply cannot beat reality at its own game. When you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. It's funny, right? It's true. So my question for you as we close this morning is, why? What is wrong with us? Why do we hear even an average sermon, or we hear truth, and we're like, yeah, I've given that a try, or you know what, yeah, I'll try that again. Do we go right back to the ways of this world and the ways of achieving the good life that we see everybody else clamoring for? Why? Why? Well, let me encourage you today. Let's listen to the words of Christ again and again and again, and again, and again. Meditate on the Beatitudes this week, friends. I have been. It's helping my COVID brain. That's all I can say. Pray with me, would you?